guys. Welcome to the Ken Burton Show podcast for this, the Sunday, the 10th, 10th of 2010. That's, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? 10, 10, 2010. How often does that happen? 9, 9, 09, I guess. Quite often. Right, okay. <laughs> this is uh, the Ken Burton Show podcast, and I'm hoping somebody is out there actually listening to this, because I have absolutely no idea how many people listen to these. Um, did one of these last week and uh, put the shit up a lot of people talking Ouija boards. I know, I understand. And this week I've been asked by many to recant my um, scariest ever moment. Okay, this was an interesting question that came in uh, from, can I name him? I'll just call him Simon. And uh, <laughs> as Simon was in fact his name. And uh, let me just tell you um, <laughs> how this came about. Right. So this this guy is asking me to do uh, some Q&As for his school or whatever. And uh, he's doing a, a college project, school project. And he said, right, I'm going to do it on you by giving you a series of questions. You know, what's your favorite pop group? Uh, what's your favorite color? You know, what was your scariest ever moment? Now, I'm not sure I can tell you what my scariest ever moment was um, without kind of giving too much away about my past, which um, I must admit I have to be relatively guarded with because, to be honest, I wasn't really a nice guy. Um, Well, I was a nice guy. I just didn't... I couldn't take the... um, a lot of the bullshit of life and kind of thought there was an easier path. And uh, let me let me just give you a little bit of the history. okay? and those of you who are just kind of leaving school or have just left school and gone into the workplace, you might you may well find yourself in exactly the same position. But let me give you a little bit of um, a little bit of history on this. Now, I was um, one of those kids that hated school with a passion. So um, I was really looking forward to leaving school and going straight in the army. I didn't get in the army and I didn't have any good exam results uh, because I thought I was going in the army. And so, um, bang, you know, uh, what do I do now? So I end up in college and uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in college for a year and I basically got expelled, excluded, kicked out, whatever, from college. And um, I went to work for this complete and utter wanker. Um, who basically paid me about £35 a week, which is probably about $50 for a six-day week, you know. It was really, really bad. Um, And then he also kind of almost insisted that I went in to help out on a Sunday, bastard. Anyway, um, that was the the kind of situation we're working with this fucking idiot. And uh, (laughs) I thought it was my first real kind of exploit into the workplace, And I just thought to myself, there's got to be a better way. You know, nobody surely puts up with this. Nobody. I mean, my my dad had been um, my only real kind of influence in anything that goes on in the workplace. My dad had worked in a car factory for most of his life. So, um, you know, he was on the track. He was doing his bit in the car factory. And uh, proud man, very proud man. And, you know, he, he was a man that other people looked up to. And still do, in fact. And that was the measure of the man, you know. I wanted that, but I also wanted to be the guy in the white collar giving the orders, as opposed to being the guy, um, in, <laughs> being the guy on the shop floor taking the orders from the guy in the collar. So um, I kind of played the part, really. 
I wasn't qualified to do it. I wasn't qualified to be anything in administration or management or admin or anything like that. So I just played the part. And, uh, you know, quite often um, I uh, started to buy and sell cars. It was a bit of a passion. So um, I buy a car and on the, on a, usually on a Sunday, spend the week doing it up uh, in my spare time and then get it in the paper for the Saturday, sell it on the Saturday, buy another one on the Sunday. Now, when I was selling the car on the Saturday, I'd put a shirt on and a tie on. Well, I only had one shirt and one tie, and that was only for funerals and weddings. Uh, because obviously, you know, I wasn't anything to do with that. And on one pair of trousers, you know, I didn't, I didn't even have any trousers. All I had was jeans. <clears throat> so here I am playing the part of the businessman on a Saturday. And uh, it was a little bit of entrepreneurial, um, entrepreneurialship maybe. I don't know, but it seemed to go down quite well and I made a few quid out of it. Then I moved into um, some other exploits where I actually got involved with a uh, proper garage and, you know, being proper boss and working for myself. That, that's a whole new story, right? But um, this is the way I've, I've kind of always come up as the guy, <laughs> the guy who um, was in fact a pretender, you know. Now, it, it wasn't very long before I got my first management role, my first job that I, I could, you know, wear a, um, uh, wear a, a collar and tie. And that was through absolute bullshit, really. I mean, uh, you know, have you ever done this before? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I have. Now, it wasn't much. It wasn't much. It was a, a small company, windscreens, glazing, that sort of company. And um, basically what I used to do was um, one day I'd be a windscreen fitter. So I'd go out and actually fit the windscreens myself or I'd go out with the rest of the lads and glaze or I'd stay in the office um, and do a, a management role with a tie on. And, you know, it was playing a part, but I used that to get my next role where I was able to say um, to, you know, my next employer, oh, yeah, I've, I've had this office job and I ran this um, place. Now, I did practically run it. I was, I was kind of an assistant manager without the title. Um, but, you know, I was also one of the boys as well. I was also out there glazing and, and fitting windscreens or whatever. So... Um, being a kind of uh, semi sort of bullshit manager, if you like, I found myself in my first management role with staff and uh, I adopted this management style. Um, now, how is this getting on to scariest moment? Well, I will, I will get on to that in a minute, but that was who I was and that was what I was, okay? That was what I did. And um, <laughs> it came a day right after I'd gone through another job and yet another job and I was in a particular job and and this place got a new managing director and he came down to me one day and he said uh um Ken I need you to do something for me I said what's that mate he said I need you to justify your existence and I thought fuck me what justify my existence he said, yeah, yeah, come to, a, we're having a seminar, right, of all the company's managers. And I was kind of, you know, 100 miles away. All the, all the, the, the managers were all around the country and most of them were in London. But uh, there were some up north in Hull as well. And 
um, I was I was kind of the senior person in the place I was. So uh, that was it, really. He, he said, I said, well, why me? He said, well, you you're obviously a manager. You you know, you know how to manage. You manage people well. You've got respect out of your crew. And, um, you know, I'd, I really think you ought to, you know, perhaps impart some of that knowledge um, to the rest of the management team. Now, this company was part of a second company who were part of a spin-off company. Anyway, we were all going to be at this seminar. So off we went. The day came <coughs> and I, I'd written a speech and I'd written it like a wedding speech, you know, and it was, oh, uh, thanks everybody for coming. I would like to talk about my style of management and I would like to, if I can, oh, hold on, I've lost my place. I would like to, and I read it the night before, right? And I thought, you can't fucking say this. I was shitting myself, shitting myself about this. Now, I've got two scary moments in my life. This was the number one, I think. And I will tell you that the number two was when I found myself being chased by uh, a number of people that basically were going to rip my head off. And I found myself in a dead end. And it was like something out of the movies. Behind me, there was a big gate. And in front of me, there were 15, 20 guys um, who were going to kill me. And uh, I mean, seriously, they they at this point were ready to kill me. Um, it was it was a dodgy deal gone wrong. Basically, it was all about selling a second hand car and I would pissed off the wrong person. I think um, some oh God, I think they wanted it as a getaway car and. Uh, you know, it was it was a very dodgy deal. I got in, into the wrong crowd of people, basically, and they hunted me down and chased me down and put me in this alley. Um, what happened next is uh, probably what I will say for another day. But uh, anyway, so that was my number two scariest moment. And this became my number one because on the um, it, it was meant to be on the Friday, OK, because we were going to have the seminar. We're all staying over. And we were going to have a bit of a drink and a laugh and then everyone would go home on the Saturday, right? Everyone was staying at the hotel. And uh, I was the key speaker um, representing my group of managers. Obviously, the managing director would get up, he'd say something, somebody else would say something, then I was the key speaker for my group. Um, on the Thursday, I realised that it was just shit. My speech was shit. And I needed to do something else. And obviously, I worried about it very much, couldn't sleep, got up on the uh, Friday morning at uh, around about six o'clock and drove 80 miles to the hotel. And uh, I checked into the hotel about nine o'clock, uh, put my stuff away, and the seminar was going to start at 11. So there was a lot of people that stayed there on the Thursday night as well. And, you know, there was a lot of piss take, you know. Oh, we're all looking forward to you making a prat of yourself, Burton. Hey, give you a fucking round of applause, you wanker. Okie dokie then. Um, a lot of my peers were very pissed because it was a well-known fact that I was a manager um, without a degree. And most of my counterparts all of my counterparts had all been through university. They all had degrees in something. And I was very, very much the outsider with something to prove. And I think part of it, you know, was the new MD 
had wanted to either do one of two things. Either he wanted me to thrust into the fold and show that I was as good as any of them, or he wanted me to crash and burn so I'd then get the fuck out of the company and leave it to people with degrees. So there I am, right? It's 11 o'clock. I am sat in my best bib and tucker at the back of this uh, bloody great big hall with at least 200 people in it. And uh, there we go. The MD gets up. Oh, well, actually, he got somebody to introduce him. And then somebody came in and said, oh, no, I'll, I'll, I'll go listen to the uh, managing director. Ha, ha, ha. And uh, <laughs> the MD got up and started to do his bit. And at the end of it, he sat down. The next guy got up and said, uh, OK, I would like to now just introduce you to our sales director. And I thought, oh, thank fuck for that. I've won a reprieve. And he, I knew, he didn't like me <laughs> because I'd gone over budget on a previous year. Okay, now the sales director, he was also the finance director and he was, you know, very, very strict in money matters. And I'd gone over budget and caused the company a bit of a problem. But it turned out to be the right thing to do and I was proved right for doing it. But that's by the by. So um, he stands up and he said, uh, well, I hope to be as interesting and as the managing director and perhaps not as uh, predictable as as the manager's uh, keynote today. <laughs> okay, so he's now calling me predictable, despite the fact that I haven't said a fucking word yet. I am shitting my pants, right? I'd never done this before. And uh, it was really interesting to then... Listen to the finance director, the sales director, sit his ass down, wanker, and for then the uh, host to say, and now, ladies and gentlemen, you have all been waiting for him. Anticipation must be at its heights. May I introduce Ken Burton? <laughs> and uh, he gave me this real Mr. Burns kind of laugh. And uh, there I go. I'm at the back of the hall, so I'm having to walk through, right? And I can hear the sniggers as I am walking the mile of shame almost. Um, so anyway, I get to the podium and bear in mind at this point, I still haven't got the first fucking idea what I'm going to say. Um, I climb the stairs, get on the stage, and there is a little bit of a few moans and a few claps, and I get up there, and I stood at the front, and I said, good morning, and I looked around the room, and I said, there are at least 200 people in this room, most of which have come from very distinguished universities, or universities where you have reached the very heights in what was possible on your particular course. But what do you actually know about the product that you and I deal with every day? What do you actually know about cars? And there was a kind of stunned silence. 
And I went on to say, basically, without giving you the whole speech, that while these little pricks were getting drunk in the students' lounge and, uh, you know, putting posters of Che Guevara on the walls, I was knee-deep in shit and oil and grease, making, building, restoring, and doing possibly absolutely everything I could possibly do to a car. I was a qualified mechanic. I am a qualified auto electrician. I have got all sorts of sales accolades because I sold cars as well. Now, what I basically got over was all of my qualifications compared to their qualifications. And then at the end of this, I said, so tell me, ladies, gentlemen, which one of us is more qualified to talk about our product? You or me? And then there was still a stunned silence. And I had this very funny smirk on my face. I'd gone on for the best part of an hour about this. Now, my slot was 35 minutes. And I fully expected somebody to shut me down. But no, I went on for an hour. And then at the end of my hour, I basically had a number of blank bits of paper in front of me. And I tapped them on the podium and went, thank you. And then I went to uh, stand back one step. Now, at that point, I was, you know, this is the way it works. You stand back one step, you wait for the applause, and then you walk off, right? Nothing. Absolute stunned silence. And then the managing director stood up, started clapping as loud as he could, going, yes! And basically cheering me, at which point, so did the rest of the room. Let me tell you the um, level of respect that I got for getting the managers, the managing director's ear for being the guy who's made it despite the odds. And people were just shit scared of me after that. Everybody expected whenever there was a, a project or a position or a promotion Everybody knew my name would always be in the frame as long as that managing director was still in place. And as it happened, I turned down three positions, three positions that I could have been offered. Um, Despite the fact that I was probably the best man for the job, I didn't particularly want to move. One of them was in Bristol, another one was in down south and another one was up north and I didn't want to move. So um, I turned down three positions. I ended up getting... um, a huge amount of respect and making all these uh, college and university kids look like dicks. Um, A bit later on in the conference, when it came to the closing speeches, the MD again closed the conference by basically saying, um, we've had some interesting discussions while we've been here. We've had talks on finance. We've had talks on sales. And one thing that we have established is that very few of you actually know anything about the products that we sell, apart from one. Ladies and gentlemen, perhaps you'd like to uh, think about that. And um, it was just immense. It really was immense. But that was my scariest moment ever, was standing up in front of 250 people and giving the speech of my life. I've done it since. Um, I mean, obviously, as a, as a projects manager, I've done it. I've been in places where they can't even speak English. And I've given a, um, one of my um, 
presentations and at the end of it they've all, they've all understood it they've all applauded it and they've all said you know well done and I'm not blowing my own trumpet there it's just one of the things I was able to do I got myself a very good reputation for being um, very confident uh, speaker on the uh, international stage and for being a confident speaker on the uh, UK stage and I think I think it probably all stemmed from that one conference and somebody who had a lot of faith in me and that uh, individual is probably made me he probably made me the person I am today it only takes one break but you have to believe you know I always believed that I was not going to end up working in a car factory I know it's a it's a very reputable um, thing to do to go out to any job nine to five or eight till four or shift jobs or factory work is very very admirable it's hard work it's difficult work it's a struggle and it brings in a wage but uh, before you get there and after you leave you have nothing else to think about in that job whereas if you're a manager you've got to expect that it's going to take over your whole life to a degree and you are going to be bringing your work home with you because that's the nature of the role that's the nature of the business being an IT manager was hard and I was I did get qualified to become an IT manager by the way I got all my Microsofts and my ITILs and everything else I needed and my security stuff Um, being a manager in that role was hard being a project manager was immensely stressful immensely Uh, especially working with a company that wasn't perhaps the most professional company in supporting its employees. And uh, that, again, is another story that one of these days I will talk about. So anyway, that's the answer to the question. My two scariest moments being stood facing ridiculous odds and expecting that somebody at some point would have killed me. And uh, the second, getting up in front of 200 plus people and giving the speech of my life. That was it. And it was a proud moment for me. It's a proud moment. There'll be a lot of proud moments, you know. There's, there have been in 45 years a hell of a lot of proud moments. But um, that has to rate in the top 10, I guess. And also the scariest. Um, so, yeah. If you've got any questions like that to ask me uh, at any time, then um, then you know just let me know and I'll uh, do what I can to answer them. I know uh, there are the odd school that contact me from time to time saying, "You can you do this? Can you do that?" I'm more than happy to do stuff for schools, uh, you know. And uh, there is no, I'm not going to charge anybody anything for doing these. If you want me to make a video that's going to turn up in your school, then you know, get a teacher to give me a give me a shout and I'll do it. Um, so anyway. Oh, that's uh, kind of made me shiver now. The hairs on the back of my neck have stood up. So I'm going to need to change the subject real quickly here. This week I came across something that was um, quite weird, really, but not unexpected, I guess. Right, let me tell you what was going on here. Because I, I, I almost lost my rag, right? I just almost lost my rag. And it, it is very, very hard to try to keep everything nice when you're kind of faced with this sort of thing. But um, on Xbox, Modern Warfare 2 playing a team 
another guy on the other team has got a rapid fire controller, right? Now, how do I know this? Because he was using a foul like it was a fucking assault rifle, okay? Then I thought, mm, yeah, okay, I'll give you the benefit on that one. And then he started to use other weapons. I, I saw him using, um, he was using one-shot weapons, The uh, some of the sniper rifles, and they were turning out like fucking assault rifles, right? And uh, I just, at the end of it, I, I said, you know, I said, guys, that was fucking terrible. You guys are awful. You know, you're rapid fire controllers. You can stick them up your ass. And I don't want to play with you guys. I'm going to back out. Afterwards, I got a message from a guy saying, basically, so is this your new excuse now, Ken? If you play a really shit game, you just accuse the other team of having uh, modded controllers. Uh, no, not quite, mate. Not quite. It doesn't work like that. If I have a bad game, I would tell you I've had a bad game. In fact, you know, I, I mean, most of the people that watch me know that I do have more bad games than I have good games. So what would be the point in having an excuse for it? I haven't got any excuses for it. Uh, I've only got my style of gameplay. That's that's my only excuse. But um, these guys must have known that there was a guy on their own team with a rapid fire. They, they must have. And yet, you know... They don't want to admit to it. Well, um, to that guy, if I lost my rag, then, you know, I, I apologize. But, you know, it, to be honest, if you're playing with somebody and you know that he's using a rapid fire, then back the fuck out. You know, don't even entertain staying in game with the guy uh, because it really, really isn't worth it. It's just it's just not worth it because you're going to get tired with the same brush because you're on his team. And uh, the other team are just going to know it. They'll just know it from the kill cams. So anyway, just a um, bit of advice. If you come across guys like that, just back the fuck out. Just just get out of there. Don't even wait, you know. Uh, you might want to say something over the mic. I don't know. I, look, mate, I'm not playing with somebody with a, a modded controller. Piss off. Um, either you leave or I do. You know, and if anyone, if everyone follows suit and these guys will still as soon start soon stop acting like complete twats okay um we had a piece of really really good news this week and uh, i can't tell you i was so so uh impressed although not particularly surprised i think but mm, had an email yesterday from uh, uh one of the uh, guys on twitter who basically said have you seen this story on cnn and uh i went and had a look and i thought wow absolutely wow fantastic they actually covered a story on cyberbullying on the consoles. And I thought, that is the first I've ever seen of it. To be honest, I think in the UK, they're almost afraid to cover it. Because um, because the, the politics would have to get involved, wouldn't they? Um, Sony would have to get involved. Microsoft would have to get involved. Uh, Nintendo would have to get involved. And, you know, the, the PC gaming community would have to get involved, the Steam guys. And, you know, because... If it did become an issue, a political issue, then maybe it would be like the whole bullying in schools fiasco. And uh, there would never be a right answer to the problem. And it would just get swept. Now, let me tell you my experience of bullying in schools of late. All right. Um, when I started the campaign a year or so ago, I was um, contacted by a number of people who said, yeah, you know, I've been bullied in school. I've been bullied in school. And then they recanted their stories of how basically uh, when their parents go to the school then and say, look, my son's being bullied, school just deny it. Oh, but then, sorry. The school just say, uh, no, it's not. 
So, well, yes, he fucking is, because, like, he came back with a, a black eye. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a bit of hijinks. It was 50 of one half dozen of the other, whatever. And um, they they just brush it and don't admit it. And they didn't take it seriously. And I've heard of maybe 10 times when that's happened, especially, like, in uh, some of the newer schools that have become academies and all this rubbish. Um instead of you know comprehensive which seems to be a dirty word these days but there you go uh so you know i go to an academy oh lovely so it's just it it doesn't do their reputation any good if they've got a bullying issue so they just deny it they brush it and they try and deal with it on the quiet that that is a real shame now if we open the whole thing up to the consoles as well then it would become a bigger issue i think and it would become known that you know, whereas Facebook, bullying on Facebook is very much a um, a written sort of thing. Texting, bullying through texting is very much a, a, it's a written, it's a visual thing. But when it's audio, it's a whole different ball game. If I write to you and say, ah, oh, I could kill you, you wanker. Then you're going to look at that and go, <laughs> yeah, fuck off. <laughs> if you're talking to somebody on um, a console and they say, I'm going to kill you, you wanker. Then that's different, especially when you're 15 or younger. And that's quite scary. And that's the thing that they don't want to pick up on. I think, is the fact that audio bullying is the equivalent of being bullied in person, if you like. The threat of violence in the voice is still there. It may not be physical, but mentally it's hugely damaging. It just is. Texting, yeah, you can take it either way. Facebook, yeah, it's very anonymous. When it's audio it's mentally torturing when it's uh physical or when it's face to face it's physically intimidating as well as mentally intimidating but nobody wants to touch it you know because it's it's a cat out of a bag situation and that is a real real shame now when this um guy from twitter sent me this wonderful story i immediately then uh attached it to one of the many, many emails that I have sent to Sky News, um, uh, BBC, ITV, News. I've, I've just sent it everywhere and nobody is bloody interested. Well, now, maybe, now that CNN have been brave enough to pick this story up, maybe, maybe someone else is going to follow suit. Hopefully they will. Now, we might be able to do something about escalating that process. Can you guys who listen to this do me a favour? Can you write an email to newsatsky.com and tell them about me, about the campaign? Tell them that I've written to them on multiple occasions trying to get this story covered. And now that CNN have picked up on it, I wonder if Sky would mind taking my email seriously and maybe just giving us some recognition of the work that we do 
and just tell them what the work is that we do. Wearing the tag, standing up for each other, and showing the rest of the gaming community that not everyone's a twat and that you're always, always going to have a friend there somewhere. And we are those friends. Can you please do that for me? News at sky.com. And I would be extremely grateful. And you never know, they might pick up on it. And if they do pick up on it, they might run a story. And if they do run a story, then that's brilliant. Because that really then shows that we have made a difference. We, we who wear the Kentag have made a difference. Not me. It's not me. I might be the patron of this, but it's not me. It's every single guy out there on the Xbox, on the PS3, on the PC that wears the Kentag. Those are the people that make the real difference. I'm just this campaign spokesman. But it's you guys that make the difference. And now everyone's going to be able to see that if we can get that covered by Sky. So please, please, please send an email for me and let them know what we're trying to do. And you can quite happily quote anything that I've said, quite happily th throw them a link to the um, campaign video. You'll find it on the website. And, uh, you know, quote the fact that CNN have picked this up. And you never know, we might, we might just get somewhere. Okay then, guys. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and this has been the Ken Burton Show. We've gone to just over 30 minutes, 33 minutes, which isn't bad. I haven't waffled on. Next week's podcast, by the way, I'm working on something, and I'm having a bit of a debate on myself, really, <laughs> as to whether or not I can say anything. Um, but... Um, I am hoping that I'm going to be able to talk about something next week and I'm just waiting for permission to do it. If I can get permission, I will talk about it. I promise you. All right then, guys. Um, by the way, there's a, a new section on the website now, which is called Directors, which has um, a lot of the newer directors uh, on there, the Machinima guys. And uh, you can go in and look at these um, uh, applications and just flick through directly into their videos. Just have a look, see what you think about their styles, whatever. Um, and their channel links are all on there and everything else. So, uh, yeah, don't forget to zip over to that. And also, guys, we have a forum. Well, you know we have a forum. And you uh, are quite welcome to come across, discuss your ideas, discuss what you think. Um, really, the best way to get to me is via Twitter. If you want to talk to me, the best way of doing it is uh, either direct message me on Twitter or Twitter me, all right? Because I am, like, on Twitter 20 times a day. Okay, then, guys, it's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoy your day. Um, it's Monday for me. I've got a lot coming up this week and uh, a lot of hard work to do. All right, I will see you all on the dark side. You all take care now. I'll see you real soon.